Uh, let's talk restaurants a little bit as the we're just oh so close. July 1st and phase three is just a matter of days away. That allows even greater flexibility for us to go to the restaurants. And uh, of course, it's now restaurants are rehiring staff, recommitting uh, resources to getting back to something resembling normal. In the midst of all of this, as many restaurants have gone under, some restaurants and some chains have flourished. Pure and Simple is a Canadian breakfast and lunch chain that this month alone has added three new stores, one in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, one in Paradise, Newfoundland and Labrador, and the other one here in BC in Coquitlam. And here to talk about taking the plunge uh, during a pandemic is uh, Jordan Condola from Pure and Simple in Coquitlam. Jordan, good morning. Good morning, Charlie. How are you doing this morning? I'm very well, thanks. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So tell us first of all about Pure and Simple because it's it's a little different take. It's a it's a, a, a chain that specializes in breakfast and lunch. And so do you serve dinners at all? So no, we do not serve dinner and our lunch menu is just from Monday to Friday, starting from eleven to three. So our main business is breakfast. Mm. Okay, now this is your second location, is it not, Jordan? That is correct. My other location is in Vancouver in the Mount Pleasant area. And we opened that one last year, September time. Holy cow. How did you summon the courage, to say the very least, to open uh, during, right smack in the middle of a pandemic? Here you are opening your second spot, taking another flyer, but at least you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You probably even got a vaccine by now. But a year ago, when you started up, what on earth got you committed to doing that? Uh, it takes a lot of resilience, I have to say. It wasn't easy, but um, it's a brand that I believe in, and I... I've been in the hospitality industry for quite some time. Although I'm new to entrepreneurship, um, I've been working in hospitality since I was quite young. Okay. So um, I just, I, I went for it. I had the drive. I, I never let anything stop me. I didn't care that there was a pandemic. I was like, I'm going to do this. This is a brand I believe in. I want to grow it. And I just went for it. How's business? Business is doing well. Um, so obviously when we opened the first location, it was a little difficult as, as it was like very near the beginning of the pandemic. But with the second location, uh, it's really taking off. Our first week, it was packed. There wasn't even min a minute to breathe. Um, as restrictions are easing, people are feeling a lot more comfortable to go outside, right. come out and dine. So I think it's, it's doing well and it's going to continue doing well. Um, it, a lot of businesses have struggled. Many have shut down. Yes. But the ones who continue to persevere and pursue, um, it leaves a lot of opportunity and room for them to grow and do well in the industry. So, Jordan, when you first started out uh, during the pandemic, it was probably, and I, I'm, I'm asking, uh, it would probably take out only, or did you have any in uh, inside dining at all? So when we when we started in September, there was inside dining, actually. So there was indoor dining and takeout. Um, okay. But then... A couple months ago when they announced that it was takeout only, it was about two months that we were doing just takeout at the Vancouver location. And did that get pretty thin? I'll bet you it did, huh? Um, yes, yes. It was It was difficult, but um, the, it wasn't even difficult in the sense that we weren't getting customers. It was difficult staffing, really. 
I don't know how do you how do you turn your staff away and say, well, we're closed, we don't we don't need you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we reopened, it's hard to bring them back. Well, yeah, and, and I was going to ask you about that because here you are now with a second location, and you see it in the in the uh, headlines all the time in the business section, Jordan. It's it's the inability to to find enough people to properly staff up for the reopening, especially considering phase three coming in just a few days, which will allow for increased uh, customer presence and more people to serve. So, how's how is finding staff now when you started up the new one? Um, it's definitely difficult. It's a lot of word of mouth right now. Um, we're telling our previous staff that, hey, if you have any friends who are interested to come and work, we're doing sponsored ads online. But I think every restaurant is in the same boat. Everyone's trying to dip into the same pool. Right. Um, it's a very limited selection right now. So you just have to manage with the people you have. Um, yeah, everyone's just trying to do the best they can. They're making the best of a difficult situation. Right. And you've gone through subsequent to even since you've uh, just started the first store between then and now, you've also gone through a wage increase. So the minimum wage now is up to fifteen twenty an hour. And that all also bites into your calculations, doesn't it? That is correct. Yes. So um, tell us about uh, the reaction. You said it's been wonderful. The new location in Coquitlam has only been open for maybe 10 days or so. Uh, it's full. People are happy to be out. Uh, people are. Uh, so give us, give us some feedback about what you're hearing, A, about starting a new enterprise in the first place, and B, just people happy to be anywhere, finally. Well, yeah. So uh, a lot of people have actually mentioned to us, um, we've been anticipating you guys. We've been waiting. You've been... We've seen your posters up for many months. We've just been wait- dying to try you because in the Port Coquitlam area, specifically Fremont, there isn't many breakfast and brunch places to go out and eat other than A&W McDonald's. And a lot of people mentioned, how often can you have a McDonald's or A&W breakfast? It's nice sure, to sure. go out and sit and have a meal with your family and dine properly. Um, feedback has been quite positive. Um, even the constructive criticism we've received, it. It's very helpful to us to improve our operations, and um, we take everything with a grain of salt, but nothing negative so far. Um, Yeah. Back to recruitment, if you don't mind for a second, Jordan, a lot of people who have uh, left the restaurant industry out of necessity, of course, because it disappeared a year or more ago, have found other work. Now, they may not, it may not be their life's true passion, but they found another job that at least takes care of business. So they're locked into this new situation. And now, of course, their first love is, is food and food service. So they're looking around, but they're not quite convinced yet, Jordan, that two or three months from now, we may have another weird variant come along and the whole shooting match gets shut down again. And they just started this cool new job and uh, which was kind of secure and had a future. So they're hesitant to, to recommit to their first love food. Are you hearing that? Um, yes, I am hearing that from quite a few people, but um, I would like to reiterate the point that we are seeing a change as more people are becoming vaccinated, as restrictions are easing. Um, there is going to become more positions available, um, not just in my restaurant, in many restaurants. Mm-hmm. And we are we are seeing that change. I know people are fearful and many people have said restaurant industry is not pandemic proof, but I don't believe that's the case. There's always 
ways, even when we were reduced for staff, um, there's still things and jobs we can find for people to do to keep them employed. Sure. And the other reality, as you just mentioned, Jordan, is the vaccine rate. There are now, these days, more British Columbians are getting their second shot per day than that are getting their first, which suggests that mathematically the odds are turning in our favor. So even if there is the appearance of a new variant of some description in a few months' time, the herd should be vaxxed up enough that it'll uh, essentially pass us by, don't you think? Yes, yes, I definitely think so. I agree with your point there. So what are your fellow restaurateurs telling you? I'm sure some people who have been really hammered by the pandemic and are still on the sidelines looking at you opening up a second location. What what sort of comments are they giving you? Well, they're coming to me and saying, are you crazy? You're opening another location? And I I tell them, like, I know it's not for everyone. And if if you don't think you can do it, then I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's easy. It's, it's not easy um, to go ahead and say, yeah, I'm going to open another location while we're still in the pandemic. Just because restrictions are easing doesn't make it a- any less difficult than right. it was before. But, um, but yeah, they're coming to me and they're asking me, do you think we should open another location? We haven't even reopened for dining because we haven't been able to find staff. Uh, what do you think we should do? So the best advice I can give people is that you need to do what's best for you. Don't go off of what other people are doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to base it off of their financial situation, um, their economical situation, everything that is going to benefit them. Good advice, Jordan. Uh, Before we let you go, how about we give you a couple of moments here to plug the locations of your two restaurants. There's one in Vancouver and now the new one in Coquitlam. In Vancouver first, please. Uh, Yeah, so the Vancouver location is uh, located at East um, 10th and Kingsway, Mount Pleasant area. And the Port Coquitlam location is in Fremont Village, 815 Village Drive. Okay, well, uh, I haven't been to a pure and simple for breakfast. I'm going to Coquitlam next Friday, so you never know, Jordan. We may cruise by and and uh, check the menu out. Thank you so much for doing this with this, with us this morning, and and congratulations and thumbs up with the new adventure. Thank you, Sterling. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. There's Jordan Candola, the proud owner of the second pure and simple franchise in Port Coquitlam. This week, Canadians were treated to a new report from the military ombudsman. Rather shocking material. Here are just a couple of quotes by way of introducing our next guest. Quote, the erratic behavior of leadership defies common sense or reason. The concept of ministerial accountability has been absent. Our allies are watching these events unfold in real time. Worse, those who are out to do us harm are also watching. The negative impacts of this crisis on recruitment and retention and on those directly implicated in these misconduct situations within the armed forces risk threatening national security. A jaw-dropping report from the military ombudsman Gregory Lick. By way of introducing our guest, it's a pleasure to welcome this gentleman back to the airwaves of CKNW. He and I have spoken many times, but it's been a long time. He is a senior lawyer, a professor of law at the University of Ottawa, and a retired colonel in the Canadian Army. Michelle Drapeau joining us this morning from Ottawa. Michelle, good morning. It's been a while. Great to have you back, sir. Good morning to you. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Lick and his uh, report. Uh, first and foremost, you've been saying some of the things that Mr. Lick has been saying very defiantly this week, Michelle. You've been saying making some of those same statements for years. So was this by by way of what you uh, the direction you've been leaning in for quite some time, almost a, a confirmation of what you've been saying? In many respects, it is, uh, and uh, he put it together uh, in, a, in a very, very effective way. It takes a lot of courage, particularly when you are serving as a public servant, to be able to say that about your, your leadership. But given his job, given his responsibility towards uh, the members of the forces at all rank levels to represent their interests, to speak for them, uh, to uh, speak uh, truth to power, particularly with parliamentarians and so on. He has mm-hmm. appeared before a parliamentary committee before. I guess he felt he had no choice but to call a spade a spade, and it's not very pretty. But when you consider that in, in Canada's armed forces, you had one general four-star, and then you have 11 uh, uh, three-star lieutenant general. Five of those are gone. Mm-hmm. The CDS, the four-star, so uh, five out of 11. The CDS, the incoming and outgoing, are gone, and they are others. So, in fact, it'd be like a, a major corporation that will, will be missing a chairman of the board, the president, the chief executive officer, and many of the high-ranking members. You kind of wonder, what kind of leadership what kind of effectiveness and readiness is the armed forces? And when Mr. Lick talks about retention and, uh, and, and recruiting, I mean, he's put his finger on it. It's going to take years before we can bring back the military to the luster uh, and, and the kind of reputation they had, uh, say, uh, uh, 10 months ago. And the other part of his, about his report that should be as equally shocking to Canadians is the is the matter of his job itself and the fact that it, he's a political appointee. His job he does not operate at completely uh, independently of, of uh, as an officer of parliament that he would prefer to be. He can have his job pulled at any time. But still, his point was that it while trying to do his job and get to the bottom of these investigations into sexual misconduct and various other leadership failures, uh, he's being impeded in his ability to do his job by politicians and their handlers who are far more interested in winning the election this fall than resolving any problems at national defense. Yeah, and, and senior administrative uh, officers such as the, uh, uh, the deputy minister to whom he is in fact looking for advice, support, um, human resources and other authorities for him to do his job, for him to be able to travel, for him to be able to do what needs to be done. So she holds the purse of the, to, to the finance, to the human resources and so on, that in fact prevents him from doing a, his job in a full-fledged manner. And he reports on that in his report also. So it's not only he serves at pleasure because he is appointed by the minister and only by mm-hmm. the minister. So if the minister doesn't want to have an ombudsman anymore, he simply doesn't renew him or he, he cuts short his appointment and that is it. Or as it occurred with this predecessor who came to him with a complaint, an email that contained, in fact, the detail of a complaint by a junior officer against the then chief of the defense staff, the minister just pushed himself away from, from the desk and said, I don't, want to, I don't want to see it. I don't want to talk to you. Goodbye. Right. 
Uh, this seems to be a pattern, though, with the, with this with the current government. When confronted by uh, facts and realities they're not particularly comfortable with, they have a way of just sort of deflecting it and carrying on anyway. And and you know, just to the issue of recruitment, we're kind of bouncing around a little bit here, Michelle, mostly because we haven't talked in a long time. But imagine, for example, now being a young woman, uh, it's anywhere in Canada currently contemplating a career in the Canadian Armed Forces and, and and just watching these allegations of sexual impropriety and so on and the resignation of senior officer after senior officer, uh, how keen would you uh, be to, to pursue that career in the forces right now? I suggest not very. Exactly. If she were my neighbor, if you were my niece, uh, my daughter, my granddaughter, I would say, wait out. Let's wait until this gets sorted out. Uh, you know, five years, ten years, or maybe, you, maybe your daughters would be able to do it. But now is not the time. Knowing that we have huge problem with the independence of the military police, independence of the military justice system, the reports made by Madame Justice Deschamps, uh, the ten recommendations she made at Bidignor. I mean, uh, uh, all of the senior leadership of uh, national defense admits that now. After mm. six years, they've been in your. Uh, and the ombudsman report uh, the prime minister within within an hour of it uh, delivering it. He said, while I will let Madame Arbour, who's Supreme Court Justice Arbour, retire, who's right. now been hired to do another study, uh, mm-hmm. the result of which we will wait uh, 10 to 12 months before we get it. So this government is intent not to take any action, either to replace uh, the departure generals or to put a system into place that will restore confidence and trust by the rank and file and, and certainly to clean up the act and uh, until this occurs and until parliament not government but parliament acts on it appoints somebody i do as an inspector general or an ombudsman then we will be having the same conversation three months or six months from now and the things are going to go from bad to worse yeah, and of course, on a purely technical, political-only basis, the government gets to say, well, we are taking action. My gosh, we, we, we've got the, one of the most respected legal minds in the country now going to sit down and examine this whole thing and write up a thorough, comprehensive report. Now, that's action, Canada. What more would you expect of us? Well, that we might expect that you would have read the last report by the uh, by a retired Supreme Court justice from a few years ago, which, as our guest is pointing out, has been completely ignored. Why another report, Michelle? Because they're easy to do and they delay anything and effectively don't accomplish anything except you get to say, we're on it. We've got a, we've got a report coming, right? Yeah, that's right. They deflect. Uh, they, they change your channel, so to speak. Uh, I mean, uh, Justice Lesage made a report almost 10 years ago. Some of his recommendations have not been uh, implemented yet. Uh, obviously, Madame Deschamps, obviously, Justice Fish, I mean, the minister says he's accepting all recommendations. Well, I tell you what, we have laws that have been passed by Parliament in 2019 that, in fact, repeal the summary trials that have been declared to be unconstitutional. The Mm. Defense Department have not enacted this particular bill yet. There's also a bill that provides victims of crimes that are prosecuted before military tribunals to have the same rights as any other Canadian have in Canada. That was passed in 2019 by Parliament, enacted into law. The government, this government, has yet to implement it. So you can pass all the law, but uh, there is something undemocratic about the Defence Department 
subject to civilian control, decide on its own whether or not to implement a specific statute or not. At least I've given you, I've given you two now that the Defense Department have chosen over the past two years to ignore it. That's unacceptable. Michel Drapeau is with us from Ottawa, a retired colonel in the Canadian Army, now a law professor at the University of Ottawa, among many other things, talking basically uh, on this Saturday morning about what is going on at National Defense. The Minister of National Defense, Mr. Sajan, Michel, has uh, resignations have been uh, put out, or calls for his resignation have been put out pretty routinely over the past year for Mr. Sajan. Uh, they seem to have intensified recently. Do you think there will be a cabinet shuffle before the election and Mr. Sajan will be relieved of his duties? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, Parliament has now uh, ceased its operation for the summer. I think we're proceeding apace uh, to have an election call for September yep. and October. Uh, I think, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know how the, minute, the Prime Minister looks at that, but presumably if they were to have a cabinet shuffle of, of Mr. Sajan something else, that could be seen in some quarters as as admitting that there is a serious error and uh, and there is something troublesome in in the kingdom, so I think he's going to um, you know wait wait out uh, until um, probably a new government gets sworn in if we have an election or if he returns in September or October when Parliament will resume in the absence of an election and then maybe at that time we'll have a uh, a, a new minister. In the meanwhile, mm-hmm. you have to keep in mind the minister is the top ranking official at D&D. He doesn't have a yes. chief of the defense staff to speak to. He doesn't have a vice chief of the defense staff. He's, uh, you know, basically, he's fired everybody else within uh, within reaching distance, those, in fact, who were trusted with the, the management of the forces and hasn't made any uh, plans, to, succession plan, uh, to make sure, in fact, we have fresh blood, individuals can take up the task and, and provide leadership. So at the moment... The forces are are existing. The rank and file have no idea as to you know who sh- they should be saluting next and where the yes. orders should be coming from. And and as Mr. Lex has said, uh, our our adversaries are also seeing this and and cannot be impressed and cannot be uh, you know significantly uh, I don't know um, you know uh, put off by uh, by Canada military preparedness. We are not. Well, exactly. And, and especially this coming at a time when we know that both Russia and China are flexing their muscles, Russia in several locations around the planet, China also with military maneuvers and so on and, and threatening gestures here, there and everywhere. It's not a great time to have your military essentially in disarray. And as you point out, Michelle, and as the ombudsman pointed out in his statement, our allies are, are watching us and those who would do us harm are also watching us. That's and right. Russia wants Russia wants the Arctic. Come on, let's get serious about this. We rely heavily on the United States for our own defense anyway, but to, to be, I would think at this point, almost completely reliant on the next door neighbors is a situation no Canadian wants to be in. Yeah, and, and it's a lack of prestige that Canadian diplomats and Canadian businessmen, anybody else dealing with uh, uh, either trades or tra- dealing in diplomacy or dealing with uh, within NATO and within NORAD and within the U.S., uh, uh, the U.N., I should say, uh, we Canada doesn't carry a, a big flag, doesn't carry, mm-hmm. uh, you know, its weight is significantly less than what it should be as a member of G7, as, as a, a founding member of NATO. I mean, right. they've got to look as 
as Canada as a poor cousin, poor not in, in terms of resources, but the ability to bring forces to bear at the appropriate moment that are disciplined, well-led, capable, and operationally ready to do so. This is not the case at the moment, and it won't be for months to come. And it seems that some members of our military have uh, spent some time culling uh, social media accounts of groups uh, like Black Lives Matter uh, and doing other strange intelligence surveillance of the Canadian population, Michelle. This is not a job for the military. Occasionally, they get called in to help in, a, in an emergency like a pandemic or, or a climate emergency. But this is uh, surveilling Canadians and compiling data on, on members of organizations. That, that is as, Was that ever done in the military when you you were part of it? No, absolutely not. And I find that, in fact, from a, a ethical perspective, contrary to what a military ought to be in a democracy. We're mm-hmm. there to defend Canada rights and freedoms and the defense of the nation against enemy abroad, not enemy from within. This is job of police forces, intelligence units, and so on and so forth. Canada has no business unless called for under aid to civil power or aid to civil authority, like uh, if there is a flood or there's a forest fire or an insurrection like we have had in, in October uh, 20th, a crisis in Quebec. So very exceptionally and only at the request of, of civil, uh, civil power and elected government. Uh, and it's at a fundamental point of having uh, military in a democracy we need to have civilian control, and the military must not be involved in civil defense, in uh, in uh, you know, in doing a job that is the the province of the police or province of any security forces. Absolutely, Absolutely. Yeah, Michelle, I've only got literally 30 seconds left. How do we make the mismanaged, the, the, the incompetent management of the Canadian military an election issue? How do we hold the government's feet to the fire while they're trying to distract us with other things? To do precisely what you do, and, and I hope, in fact, editorials across the nation would raise the issue that this cannot go uh, undiscussed and unaddressed during the election campaign. I think this government needs to be held to account and needs, in fact, to respond to Canadian interests and to see, in fact, why is it that they've, less de- they've let these issues fester for the past six years and yet present themselves for re-election with a plan to do what? At the moment, I mean, the military lacks political control, lacks political leadership, and certainly lacks military leadership as we do to the, to the detriment and to the danger of the nation. Michel Drapeau, thank you very much for joining us again. It's been far too long and great to have you back on the air, sir. Uh, we appreciate your time this morning very much. You're most welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Retired Army Colonel Michel Drapeau joining us this morning from Ottawa, where he's a professor at the University of Ottawa. Uh, let's talk restaurants a little bit as the we're just oh so close. July 1st and phase three is just a matter of days away. That allows even greater flexibility for us to go to the restaurants. And uh, of course, it's now restaurants are rehiring staff, recommitting uh, resources to getting back to something resembling normal. In the midst of all of this, as many restaurants have gone under, some restaurants and some chains have flourished. Pure and Simple is a Canadian breakfast and lunch chain that this month alone has added three new stores, one in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, one in Paradise, Newfoundland and Labrador, and the other one here in BC in Coquitlam. And here to talk about taking the plunge uh, during a pandemic is uh, Jordan Condola from Pure and Simple 
in Coquitlam. Jordan, good morning. Good morning, Sterling. How are you doing this morning? I'm very well, thanks. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So tell us first of all about Pure and Simple because it's it's a little different take. It's a it's a, a, a chain that specializes in breakfast and lunch. And so do you serve dinners at all? So no, we do not serve dinner and our lunch menu is just from Monday to Friday, starting from eleven to three. So our main business is breakfast. Mm. Okay. Now this is your second location, is it not, Jordan? That is correct. My other location is in Vancouver in the Mount Pleasant area. And we opened that one last year, September time. Holy cow. How did you summon the courage, to say the very least, to open uh, during, right smack in the middle of a pandemic? Here you are opening your second spot, taking another flyer, but at least you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You probably even got a vaccine by now. But a year ago when you started up, what on earth got you committed to doing that? It takes a lot of resilience, I have to say. It wasn't easy, but um, it's a brand that I believe in. And I, I've i been in the hospitality industry for quite some time. Although I'm new to entrepreneurship, um, I've been working in hospitality since I was quite young. Okay. So um, I just, I, I went for it. I had the drive. I, I never let anything stop me. I didn't care that there was a pandemic. I was like, I'm going to do this. This is a brand I believe in. I want to grow it. And I just went for it. How's business? Business is doing well. Um, So obviously when we opened the first location, it was a little difficult as, as it was like very near the beginning of the pandemic. But with the second location, uh, it's really taking off. Our first week, it was packed. There wasn't even a minute to breathe. Um, As restrictions are easing, people are feeling a lot more comfortable to go outside, come out and dine. So I think it's it's doing well, and it's going to continue doing well. Um, A lot of businesses have struggled. Many have shut down. But the ones who continue to persevere and pursue um it leaves a lot of opportunity and room for them to grow and do well in the industry so jordan when you first started out uh, during the pandemic it was probably and I, i'm i'm asking uh it would probably take out only or did you have any in uh inside dining at all so when we when we started in september there was inside dining actually so there was indoor dining and takeout um okay but then a couple months ago when they announced that it was takeout only, it was about two months that we were doing just takeout at the Vancouver location. And did that get pretty thin? I'll bet you it did, huh? Um, yes, yes. It was It was difficult, but um, the, it wasn't even difficult in the sense that we weren't getting customers. It was difficult staffing, really. I don't know how do you how do you turn your staff away and say, well, we're closed. We don't we don't need you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we reopened, it's hard to bring them back. Well, yeah, and, and I was going to ask you about that because here you are now with a second location, and you see it in the in the uh, headlines all the time in the business section, Jordan. It's it's the inability to to find enough people to properly staff up for the reopening, especially considering phase three coming in just a few days, which will allow for increased uh, customer presence and more people to serve. So how is how is finding staff now when you started up the new one? Um, it's definitely difficult. It's a lot of word of mouth right now. Um, we're telling our previous staff that, hey, if you have any friends who are interested to come and work, we're doing sponsored ads online but i think every restaurant is in the same boat everyone's 
trying to dip into the same pool. Right. Um, it's a very limited selection right now. So you just have to manage with the people you have. Um, yeah, everyone's just trying to do the best they can. They're making the best of a difficult situation. Right. And you've gone through subsequent to even since you've uh, just started the first store between then and now, you've also gone through a wage increase. So the minimum wage now is up to fifteen twenty an hour. And that all also bites into your calculations, doesn't it? That is correct. Yes. So um, tell us about uh, the reaction. You said it's been wonderful. The new location in Coquitlam has only been open for maybe 10 days or so. Uh, it's full. People are happy to be out. Uh, people are. Uh, so give us, give us some feedback about what you're hearing, A, about starting a new enterprise in the first place, and B, just people happy to be anywhere, finally. Well, yeah. So uh, a lot of people have actually mentioned to us, um, we've been anticipating you guys. We've been waiting. You've been... We've seen your posters up for many months. We've just been wait, dying to try you because in the Port Coquitlam area, specifically Fremont, there isn't many breakfast and brunch places to go out and eat other than A&W McDonald's. And a lot of people mentioned, how often can you have a McDonald's or A&W breakfast? It's nice sure, to sure. go out and sit and have a meal with your family and dine properly. Um, feedback has been quite positive. Um, even the constructive criticism we've received, it it's very helpful to us to improve our operations and um, we take everything with a grain of salt, but nothing negative so far. Um, Yeah. Back to recruitment, if you don't mind for a second, Jordan, a lot of people who have uh, left the restaurant industry out of necessity, of course, because it disappeared a year or more ago, have found other work. Now, they may not, it may not be their life's true passion, but they found another job that at least takes care of business. So they're locked into this new situation. And now, of course, their first love is, is food and food service. So they're looking around, but they're not quite convinced yet, Jordan, that two or three months from now, we may have another weird variant come along and the whole shooting match gets shut down again. And they just started this cool new job and uh, which was kind of secure and had a future. So they're hesitant to, to recommit to their first love food. Are you hearing that? Um, yes, I am hearing that from quite a few people, but um, I would like to reiterate the point that we are seeing a change as more people are becoming vaccinated, as restrictions are easing. Um, there is going to become more positions available, um, not just in my restaurant, in many restaurants. Mm-hmm. And we are we are seeing that change. I know people are fearful and many people have said restaurant industry is not pandemic proof, but I don't believe that's the case. There's always ways even when we were reduced for staff um there's still things and jobs we can find for people to do to keep them employed sure and the other reality as you just mentioned jordan is the vaccine rate there are now these days more british columbians are getting their second shot per day than that are getting their first which suggests that mathematically the odds are turning in our favor so even if there is the appearance of a new variant of some description in a few months time the herd should be vaxxed up enough that it'll uh, essentially pass us by don't you think yes yes i definitely think so i agree with your point there so what so what are your fellow restaurant tours telling you? I'm sure some people who have been really hammered by the pandemic and are still on the sidelines looking at you opening up a second location. What what, what sort of comments are they giving you? Well, they're coming to me and saying, "Are you crazy? You're opening yeah. another location?" And I I tell them like 
I know it's not for everyone. And if if you don't think you can do it, then I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's easy. It's, it's not easy um, to go ahead and say, yeah, I'm going to open another location while we're still in the pandemic. Just because restrictions are easing doesn't make it a- any less difficult than right. it was before. But um but yeah, they're coming to me and they're asking me, do you think we should open another location? We haven't even reopened for dining because we haven't been able to find staff. Uh, what do you think we should do? So the best advice I can give people is that you need to do what's best for you. Don't go off of what other people are doing. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone needs to base it off of their financial situation, um, their economical situation, everything that is going to benefit them. Good advice, Jordan. Uh, before we let you go, how about we give you a couple of a moments here to plug the locations of your two restaurants. There's one in Vancouver and now the new one in Coquitlam. In Vancouver first, please. Uh, yeah, so the Vancouver location is uh, located at East um, 10th and Kingsway, Mount Pleasant okay. area. And the Port Coquitlam location is in Fremont Village, 815 Village Drive. Okay, well, uh, I haven't been to a pure and simple for breakfast. I'm going to Coquitlam next Friday, so you never know, Jordan. We may cruise by and and uh, check the menu out. Thank you so much for doing this with this, with us this morning, and and congratulations and thumbs up with the new adventure. Thank you, Sterling. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. There's Jordan Candola, the proud owner of the second pure and simple franchise in Port Coquitlam. New survey from the folks at Car Gurus on autonomous vehicles. Uh, they surveyed lots of Canadians and discovered we're a little uh, skeptical about this. Uh, only 17% of people's surveys said they would even consider buying a self-driving vehicle in the next five years. But within the next 10 years, well, that number actually doubles. It's not this that we're not interested. We're just kind of skeptical about it all, uh, particularly the technology involved. Here to talk a little bit about this survey and unpack it a bit from CatoCarGuy.com, automotive journalist Jeremy Cato back with us. Jeremy, good morning. Hey, Sterling, you keeping cool? I'm doing my best. I am not at the radio station. I'm working from home with a giant fan, hopefully not making too much of a racket behind me. I sure miss the NW air-conditioned studio, my friend. How about you? <laughs> and the view from up there, too. Uh, it is pretty nice. So uh, uh, the fact that a, a, a very large number of, of us are skeptical about autonomous vehicles shouldn't be any kind of surprise at all. The fact that 17% of us said within five years we consider buying one kind of surprised me. How about you? Uh, it's it's not a big number when you think about it. I mean, uh, probably the most uh, commonly heard about uh, form of autonomous driving is the autopilot system that mm-hmm. Tesla has developed. And every once in a while, we read a, a, about it, we hear about it, we see a story about somebody who had their feet up on the dashboard watching a movie while they drove into the back of a pickup truck exactly. or a semi-tractor trailer. And I think those that, those kinds of stories scare a lot of people even though the, the actual numbers are very small. I also think something else that's going on that I don't think that survey covered very closely, but, you know, but I have mentioned this to you before um, in emails, is it, it's just the sheer cost of the thing uh, is it, pretty frightening. I mean, consider right now the, the average transaction of a price in Canada is north of $40,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. And the average monthly payment now is around $750 a month if you finance your vehicle. And that's because of all these additional costs associated with technologies, not just autonomous vehicle technologies, but all the airbags and, 
and all, everything else that just adds cost to to uh, to vehicles. So mm-hmm. part of I think what's hidden in that survey and the reaction of people um, is is I just don't want to pay for this. Uh, you know, sure. consumers saying I don't want to pay for this stuff. I, I can drive a car fine, and I and I don't need this technology. Jeremy, there's a new Kia EV that you've been testing, and it's all over your website. I want you to tell us about it in a minute. But back to autonomous vehicles, because some of us, there are a lot of people still trying to get a handle on it. And and in the survey, uh, it, it says it says nearly half of those survey prefer to be the pilot, in quotes, in a self-driving vehicle, showing Canadians understand the role they play when the tech becomes available. I'm not sure I do. What is being the pilot of a self-driving? What is that tech about? And what should I have a, a firmer grasp on in terms of understanding the technology of autonomous vehicles, Jeremy? Right. Well, th- there's two major approaches to a- autonomous vehicles. One, uh, one uses a, a radar-based and one is camera-based. And uh, some of them use a, a little bit of both. So they use mm-hmm. cameras uh, uh, positioned around the vehicle and, and various forms of radar to determine uh, whether you're staying within the lines of the roadway, what various um, traffic problems are ahead of you, and how to avoid them. And uh, most of the ones that are out there now, in fact, I think all of them, everyone I've tested, let's put it that way, uh, immediately, uh, if you take your hands off the steering wheel for more than, uh, let's say, five, ten seconds, um, they, uh, you know, the the instrument cluster, a warning flashes to tell you that uh, you need to put your hands back on the steering wheel. Uh-huh, so, okay. So, uh, and, uh, you know, this, this, is, uh, uh, this is standard fare. And some of that is, well, I think, I think all of that uh, is related to the fact that the technology is not completely reliable, as, as, I'm, as I, you know, we were talking about earlier. Right, sure. Uh, there are there are documented cases of, of you know people not paying attention to their driving and driving right into something that kills them, and uh, that's probably one of the pieces that, that frightens frightens people uh, the most. So the tech the technology exists to help you do do driver assist features. So for right. example, I really like the uh, the automated cruise control systems now that um, adjust automatically to the traffic in front of you. And if you are in mm-hmm. stop and go driving, um, you know, if you're monitoring the system, it does save you a lot of hassle of putting your foot on the brake all the time. You can just let the system uh, determine the you. distance between you and the in front of you. And, you know, we don't have huge traffic jams as a general rule in the greater Vancouver area. Um, but boy, if you live in Toronto <laughs> and you spend any time on the 401 or the Gardner, mm. uh, this is, this is a godsend technology. So interesting stuff. Driver assist feature is really cool and useful. Yeah. So your website, CatoCarGuy.com, where a visitor, by the way, can download the uh, the ebook "Swimming <laughs> with the Showroom Sharks." Love the title. Uh, features uh, you you say the new 2021 Kia. There's an EV that underpromises and overdelivers. You're all about electric vehicles these days, Jeremy. Tell us about this new Kia. Well, you know, this, this one surprised me a little bit because the Kia Nero EV has been on the market for about two years and is the highest ranked mainstream electric vehicle in, uh, in the most recent J.D. Power survey of electric vehicle owners. The okay. two top ranked ones um, are, the, are the, the two most popular tests of the Model S and Model 3, but uh, that you'll, you'll spend tens of thousands of dollars more for a Tesla. Whereas the Kia EV, what really shocked me about it, uh, two things, darling. One, 
Um, the range, the posted range that's certified by Natural Resources Canada is 385 kilometers between charges. But okay. I was getting 450 kilometers using the air conditioning system. And now, granted, I don't drive on a lot of hills, um, but I was really stunned that I could get 450 kilometers on a vehicle that promises only 385. That's mm. pretty terrific. Bonus. The second yeah. piece that I really like about the, the, the I had the top of the line. Kia EV as my tester, so $55,000, which, you know, seems a lot. But if you, you know, factor in $14,000 in various available government incentives, it gets down to, you know, into the low 40s. Anyway, Mm -hmm. um, really refined, like nicely done. Nice materials, tight handle gaps, uh, comfortable leather seats with white piping on them. I mean, nice little car. And a Tesla Model 3 is going to run you in the seventy, eighty thousand dollars by the time you get it out the door. Sure. And if you get any of the ones that are above, I think the threshold for the federal incentive, the $5,000 federal incentive is $55,000. So most Tesla models don't qualify for a government uh, incentive or a taxpayer-funded incentive of, of any kind. So you put those factors together, and while the Kia Nero isn't, I, I, I'm not going to, kid you here it's not a sexy rig like a model s which is mm-hmm. as much as one hundred and seventy thousand dollars. but if you just want a functional everyday long-lasting electric vehicle with terrific range uh, I'd, I'd, I'd certainly go take it for a ride and that's why people who actually own electric vehicles have ranked it number three overall and number one amongst the affordable or the more affordable mainstream electric vehicles Interesting stuff. And if you want to watch Jeremy take the Kia Nero EV for a ride, just pop over to his website, katocarguy.com. And gosh darn it, if there isn't a video. Jeremy's last name is spelt C-A-T-O, katocarguy.com. Jeremy, always a pleasure. Thank you for this. Stay cool. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Nice to talk to you this morning. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.